And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning at 6.06 on this very shortened holiday week. Of course, it's Thanksgiving, Thursday right around the corner, Friday half trading day. So again, not a lot of people around for this week. So as we said last week, it's inmates running the asylum all week in terms of the markets. So in other words, don't put a lot of, of you know, analysis on what happens this week, uh, good or bad, right? Uh, but normally stocks do tend to trade a little bit better. Uh, during the Thanksgiving week, retail investors get a little bit excited in the holidays, of course. And of course, you know, the traditional Black Friday showing up Thursday and Friday, even though it started like a month and a half ago. Um, I've been getting emails from Best Buy now for like three months, for like the last two months. Black Friday sales, we're not there yet. It's actually on Friday. Um, but, you know, retail sales uh, have been uh, looking okay, and this is leading a lot of economists to suggest, well, maybe we won't have a recession. Maybe the economy is stronger than we expected. That's actually good news. Um, as we talked about last week, you know, one thing that uh, is kind of, you know, problematic right now is everybody's expecting a recession. And typically when everybody expects something to happen, uh, it doesn't happen. And what we need really is a lot of people to start saying, well, maybe there won't be a recession. Maybe this time will be different and we won't have a recession with an inverted yield curve. That would be good, right, for the markets because again, that would start to provide a little bit of more short-term lift, a bit of optimism here. Um, it also would make the probability of a recession next year actually go up and want to be a little bit more cautious about that. Uh, in the near term, though, uh, again, I'll explain this in detail if you're driving to work this morning, but if you're watching our YouTube channel, you can see our, our chart up on the screen. A uh, couple of good things are happening with the markets in the short term. The 20-day moving average has now crossed above the 50-day. Now, it's a real short-term you know, kind of uh, signal, but it does typically tend to lead or at least support rising asset prices. The last time that happened was back in, of course, this uh, July period where we had this nice July-August rally. Uh, and of course, the 20-day the moving average is such a short moving average that that typically tends to track prices. And we see kind of that moving higher. Same way here, uh, cross above the 50-day. Now, it doesn't absolutely guarantee that this market's going to keep rallying here for the next, you know, five years. Um, it does suggest there's a little bit more of an upside here over the next week or so. Unfortunately, the 200-day moving average sitting right above uh, the markets right now at about 40.50 on the S&P 500. So again, not a lot of upside here. But as we talked about, there's, you know, as we start to wrap up this month anyway, typically tends to trade a little bit better, a little bit more optimistic heading into the end of the year. Now, as we get into the first couple of weeks of December, as we talked about last week, that's where we have mutual fund rebalancing. Typically get a little bit of sloppy, you know, sloppy trading action at that point as mutual funds are distributing gains and, and interest income for the year. Uh, then the last two weeks of December tend to be a little bit better because, well, that's your Santa Claus rally. Right, so everybody's all excited into the year wrap up, but that's basically mutual funds starting to put all the positions back on their books that have performed well this year, right? They may not have owned ExxonMobil since the beginning of the year, but in the last week of the year, they put ExxonMobil in their books. That way, when they issue out their quarterly reports, mutual fund says, see, we own all of your favorite stocks that performed great this year. Aren't we smart stock pickers? 
So that's <laughs> the way window dressing works. Um, so read your quarterly statements to make you feel better about your mutual fund. Don't worry about performance. Just look at what they hold. Um, but this is really kind of, of kind of the expectation here over the next week or so. Again, not a lot to really you know be concerned about at the moment. Things are pretty much kind of just calming down now for the end of the year. Next Fed meeting comes up on December the 15th, if I'm not mistaken. And of course, that leaves us one employment report and one inflation report before we get to the last Fed meeting of the year. So really, that's the next big kind of you know, kick for the markets over the next uh, few weeks is really going to be the next employment report, next CPI report. What does that mean for, for the Fed? Fed right now expected to hike 50 basis points one more time this year, 50 basis points. Now becomes the big debate for next year as everybody's starting to wonder, well, is the Fed done hiking rates? There's some decent analysis out there right now that the Fed may hike 50 basis points and that will be it if inflation starts to really show, start to show some signs of weakness. In other words, we get another weak inflation report in December. Maybe the Fed stops hiking rates after this next 50 basis point hike. Another school of thought says, nope, they're going to keep hiking rates. 50 basis points, 25 basis points, three times next year, get you to five and a quarter percent on the Fed funds rate, then they'll quit and hold it there for the rest of next year. That's highly debatable if A, we get that far in terms of rate hikes before something breaks in the economy, or B, um, you know, what's happening with the overall markets or, you know, expectations. It's, it's really kind of unlikely there are gonna be a hold rates at this level considering what's happening with home prices, home sales as an example, uh, inflation's coming down, and, we, and we're starting, you know, we're seeing that impact on earnings and corporate profit margins, but again, a lot of analysts right now pointing to earnings and margins saying, look how good earnings are, right? But we haven't seen the impact of these rate hikes yet. So that's still coming. All those rate hikes after the March, so we, we've seen the March rate hike, that's about it for right now. The, one that, the 25 basis points that we hiked back in March of this year, we haven't seen the 50 basis points that followed that or the 475 basis point rate hikes or the next 50 basis point rate hike. None of those have shown up in the economy yet. That won't happen until next year. That's where we start seeing this impact to earnings and margins and, of course, what's going to happen with retail uh, consumption. Because, again, right now, consumers tapping credit cards to make ends meet. Of course, they're ramping up credit cards to record levels right now. And, you know, you know, when you look at the retail sales debt, it certainly looks like the consumer is doing well. But the problem is, is they're just buying the same amount of stuff, just paying a whole lot more for it. And we tend to forget about that. Just because we look at a retail sales dollar amount doesn't mean they're buying more stuff. And when you start to take a look at what's happening, some of the manufacturing index certainly tells you that the economy is slowing down at this point. So again, just things to keep, kind of keep a focus on as we move into next year. The big debate starting in January is going to be recession or no recession. If there's a recession, earnings have to come down a whole lot more. If there's no recession next year, and if you think that we can avoid a recession, then earnings may be fairly marked for a slow growth economy next year that is non-recessionary. So again, this is going to be the big debate next year in terms of market valuations, stock prices, and whether or not this cyclical kind of bear market structure that we've been in over the course of the last couple of months is finally behind us. Now, again, it will be behind us, but at some point the question is when and how much further do we have to go to the downside before we get to that next bottom in the markets? Again, I don't know that answer, no, no, neither does anybody else. A lot of it will depend precisely on 
whether or not we have a recession or B, what the Federal Reserve does in terms of hiking rates, stopping rates, or reverting back to quantitative easing. Interestingly enough, the Fed has been reducing their balance sheet by $95 billion a month since June. Uh, they've actually reduced their balance sheet $340 billion, so they're not quite running that, that taper at the rate that they thought they would be at this point. That's probably going to pick up a pace um, as we get into early next year as well because they've got to get that balance sheet down. So a couple of things to get into this morning. Futures are pointing lower at the open to kick off the week, but again, had a decent rally last week market kind of just hung in there really well. We'll see how the market opens this morning, down about 100 points on the Dow. Nasdaq's down about 100 points, but again, just kind of weak here um, as you know as we open the day. But again, light volume all week. Don't put a lot of, of credence into what happens in market prices for the next couple of days until we come back from Thanksgiving. All right, quick break. Be right back for more of The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. Back to the show this morning, of course. You know, as uh, talking just about a second ago, this uh, you know market's got a little bit of work to do first, um, probably. And, and again, a lot of this depends next year on whether or not we have a recession. That's that's going to be the big call. And I don't know for sure if we have a recession. Nobody else does either. It's there. There are certainly. And I was having this conversation over the weekend. Um, with a couple of different people that, you know, they're absolutely adamant we're having a recession next year. Now, you look at the data, it certainly suggests that would be the case, right? I mean, you've got interest rates being aggressively hiked. You've got 10-year Treasury rate at 4%. You've got home prices slowing down. You've got, you know, just you're kind of everywhere you look, there is certainly data, inverted yield curves. I mean, there's just so many things that you can look at that would suggest that a recession is almost a guarantee at this point. It's like, how can you not have a recession at this point, particularly with the Fed, you know, uh, reducing their balance sheet? How can you not wind up in a recession? And I, and I don't disagree with that point, so I don't think that I'm arguing that we're not going to have a recession. So don't turn off the radio just yet. Just hang in there with me for a second. My point is that, you know, as is always the case when it comes to managing your portfolio, managing your money, it's dangerous to make one-sided bets. In other words, to bet entirely on 
a recession, the end of the world as we know it, et cetera. I get lots of emails from people going, I, you know, I need help with, you know, buying gold and silver. No, you don't. Just go to a gold and silver dealer and buy your gold and silver, right? Or buy an ETF. It's, it's easy. But the problem is, is putting all of your assets in one asset, especially a commodity, nonetheless, is very risky. Things don't always work out as we expect. I mean, this year, coming into this year, everybody expected gold to do exceptionally well because we have, you know, 9% inflation. Certainly, you know, uh, inflation was, I mean, gold was supposed to be a hedge for inflation. It hasn't really turned out that way. So, you know, these are the things that we have to be careful of. Nobody wanted oil stocks in 2021. That's terrible. Who wants to own those things, right? They're all going out of business. The oil prices are negative. And, of course, that's been, you know, one of your best performers this year. And so it's always, and my point is, so it's always dangerous to bet, to make a one-sided bet. It's, it's, this is the thing you have to be careful of. So the thing that we have to be careful of going into next year is this idea that we absolutely are guaranteed to have a recession. And the reason I say that is, is that when you actually make that bet, you take on risk that something else can happen, right? The other side of it is, is maybe the decline in the markets this year have already priced in a recession, right? Now, you can argue that. I don't think so. I don't think earnings have come down enough to justify an economic recession and slowdown. But there's an argument to be made that you know, earnings have come down enough and prices have come down enough in some areas of the markets. Again, you take a look at some stocks, you know, Meta, others, they're down 60, 70, 80% from their peaks this year. Not all stocks, but there's certainly a batch of stocks out there, large of them, large quantity of them that are down sharply this year. There's, there's a lot of stocks that aren't as well. There's a lot of stocks that are hovering near all-time highs. So, these are the things that we have to be careful of as we think about how we invest and manage our portfolios going into next year. Um, you know, this, this covers a lot of ground, small caps versus mid caps and large caps, uh, emerging markets versus international. Again, a lot of people saying, you know, hey, I just want to be invested in emerging markets because they're cheap relative to the U.S. Eh, be careful with that. Emerging markets may be cheap relative to the U.S., but emerging markets aren't really cheap relative to emerging markets. And don't forget that if we do have a recession in the U.S., that's not great for emerging market countries because they're dependent upon the U.S. for their exports. And remember, emerging markets are solely exporters. That's pretty much their economy is they export goods and services to the industrialized countries, U.S., Europe, France, et cetera. Okay? So if we get a cold, they get the flu. So a lot of these bets that emerging markets are going to go screaming higher over the next year could be right, could be wrong. So again, this is why we have to be careful with how we manage money because as we start to make investments, we're, we're taking bets. I got into a discussion over the weekend about investing. And it's interesting because people are adamant that they're investors. I'm an investor. You know, I buy stocks and I look at them on their long-term fundamental value, but I trade them every week, right? I buy and I sell all the time. You know, you've got to just determine whether you're an investor or a speculator. Reality is, is that we're all speculators. 
because all we're doing, and, and think about this, is that all we're doing is buying ethereal pieces of paper. We're hoping they go up in price and that we can sell them at a later date at a higher price. That is, that is the very basis of speculation. That's not investing. Investing is where I make, I, I invest capital into a company and I grow that business over time and I have the ability to direct the changes of that company. So in other words, I start a business. My business is growing and then I hit a little speed bump because of a, you know, whatever. So I have to make some decisions. I cut some spending. I hire some additional sell staff. I create a new product. I make an acquisition. And I continue to grow my business. That's investing, right? I have, I have control over the outcome of that business. And, and the ultimate determination of my success or failure of that investment is my ability. Outside of that, when I buy a share of Apple, I have no control over what Apple does. I can't, I have no voice, I have no opinion. If I don't agree with the direction of the company, all I can do is sell my shares. You know, this is the difference between you investing in the markets and Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett invests enough into a company that he says, you know, I expect y'all to do this and the company will do that. So I think once you start to realize that you're a speculator and not an investor, that changes your view a bit on how you manage your portfolio. Or at least it should. And it should change your view to the fact that I'm managing risk. That's all I'm doing. It's all I do. It's all Mike does. That's what we do for our clients every day is just manage risk. We try to make long-term investments. We try to buy things that we want to hold for a long time because we think they have a long-term value to them. But if something goes wrong, we're going to sell them. And... You know, once you adopt that attitude, I think you get a better performance over time out of your portfolio. But the important thing is we go into next year, right? This is the difference. And, and you realize that going to next year, you're making a bet. And you're making the bet on whether or not you, you truly, honestly have all the facts at hand to determine with certainty that an outcome is going to occur, either recession or not. And we're starting, like I said in the, in the opening segment, I said, you know, there's starting to be more voices now, which I think is a good thing, of a no recession environment. Things are, are we're not, you know, things are better than we expect. We're not going to have a recession next year. That's, that's actually decent. And, and the reason that's decent is when everybody expects something to happen, that's generally when it doesn't occur. So everybody's been in this camp that we're definitely having a recession. And so if I'm looking for cheaper valuations to buy things cheap, a recession's actually a good thing. I want a recession. I do, actually, personally. I would like to see a recession. We can get earnings down, we can get profit margins down, and we can buy some things fundamentally cheap. I would love to see that opportunity. But again, when everybody thinks that's going to happen, typically that's when something else occurs. So starting to hear some voices of people saying, well, no recession next year. Please, more of you. But this is the thing that, you know, again, just as you think about managing your money, managing your portfolio, I'm getting lots of emails, um, people wanting to make one-sided bets. Always happens, right? We get into a bit of a, 
turbulent market and everybody's, you know, you know, I want to be all precious metals. I want to be all beanie weenies and ammo, whatever it is. Then, you know, you can make that bet. Uh, just the problem is, is you vastly increase the probability that you're going to be wrong. And that being wrong damages your outcome more than just being diversified and having a bear market. And that's the risk you got to take. And it's the risk you got to manage. So, you know, just, you know, these are the things, you know, to think about. Because, you know, there is some potential here that the market will bottom next year. I think there's a reasonable probability that the markets will bottom next year. And that bottom will occur when the Fed stops hiking rates, starts to re reverse their interest rate policy and stop quantitative tightening, right? But I think we've got to go through some more work again before we get there. Again, you know, when you take a look at earnings, they're still exceptionally high relative to what the economy can actually generate on an annual basis. Economic growth is still slowing down. Consumers are slowing down. Um, we're going to get a lot, and I think we'll have a lot more data about this following the, the Christmas holidays. You know, we get to get the numbers in from Christmas sales and what people actually spent and start to look at retail sales in January and, and February. I think we'll have a much better idea of about, you know, really where the economy is and kind of what happens next. Okay, quick break. Come back. More about you and your money right here on The Real Investment Show. Realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest newsletter is out. Simply go by the website. Click on the newsletter link. Uh, covered a whole bit about the inverted yield curve this weekend. We'll talk about that next. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You know, it's interesting. It's not a great, you know, blow to your ego. I guess it's actually a blow to your ego. I would say it's, you know, it's not a great compliment, but it's pretty much a blow to your ego when you're the CEO of a company and you basically get fired and then your stock goes up 10% because they bring another guy in, right? <laughs> That's not a great, you know... <laughs> 
know, a great compliment about your abilities as a CEO. But uh, Bob Iger coming back to run Disney after 11 months. You know, so Bob Iger chose Chappic to run Disney when he left 11 months ago. And since then, the stock is down 40 percent. A lot of it has to do with really bad ideas, um, you know, when uh, Florida passed some of their policies in Florida, Disney was very woke, very you know, woke about it and doesn't really bode well for a company to get involved in that and, you know, kind of keep politics out of your business and just run your business. Right. And so one thing that happened you know, between that and, of course, decisions with the media company and what's happening. Uh, and I would say that a lot of this is also happening with the Marvel Universe that um, has been occurring in, in particular, which was the big blockbusters that Disney was pulling out, uh, Iron Man, Avengers, etc. All that's gone away. Um, anyway, Bob Iger coming back. Stock's up 10% this morning. Disney upgraded um, by several firms on the hopes that uh, Bob Iger will turn the company around. So that'll be one bright spot of green this morning in the markets relative to what else is going on. Um, so in this weekend's newsletter, we talked about inverted yield curves. And, and there's an interesting, again, an interesting debate. A lot of people coming out right now is like, oh, yield curves don't matter. And, and again, this is something we often see, is that if there is something that has typically preceded recessions historically, what happens is when those things occur and you don't have a recession immediately, people go, well, maybe this time is different. You know, in 2019, we had an inverted yield curve. Everybody's like, well, you know, this time is different because we haven't had a recession yet. In 2020, you have a recession. You know, and this is where we are again. We've got one of the deepest yield curve inversions right now on the 10-2 Treasury spread. And that's the difference in the interest rates. When, when you hear somebody say, you know, an interest rate spread or a yield spread, all that is is the differential between two different yields. So think about this way. What is the yield spread on your car note versus your credit card? So your car note's 7% and your credit card's 18%, right? So you've got 11% spread between those two rates. That, that's all a yield spread is. It's just the difference between two rates. So what's the difference between the 10-year treasury rate and the two-year? It's just the difference between those two rates. You just subtract one from the other. What's interesting is, is that the two-year treasury rate is higher than the 10-year rate. And you're like, okay, so what? Well, it shouldn't be that way. What that's saying is, is that people are charging more for a two-year loan than they are a 10-year loan. And it shouldn't be that way. If I'm loaning Brent money for 10 years, right? I've got to hope for the next 10 years that Brent is going to make his payments. That's a long time. A lot of things can happen to Brent, right? Lose his job, you know, have all kinds of problems. Have some big medical event that wipes out all the savings and I can't make his payment. I mean, those things happen, right? Over 10 years, a lot of things can happen. So I would want to charge somebody more money 
on an interest rate, if I'm loaning money to them for 10 years versus just two years, two years, I can pretty much figure out that, you know, look at Brent's financials. He's like, I think he's going to make it for two years. So I should charge less for that. But right now we're charging more for two years than 10 years. And that's a sign of economic stress. Right now, people don't want to loan money for two years. It's, there's too many things going on. A recession, all kinds of stuff can happen. People are just kind of pulling back, right, on those loans. So they're wanting a higher risk premium in the short term, which has now created what we call an inverted yield curve. That means the two-year treasury is higher than the 10-year treasury. But we, we don't have just inversions in the two-year versus 10-year. We have it in the three-month versus 10 years and the, you know, just all kinds of different yield curves, right? But that's all a yield curve is. And what yield curves tell you is that there's something wrong economically. That's what it tells you. There's a problem. Historically, every time the yield curve is inverted, we've had a recession. But as I said, what most people you know, start to do is to start to discount those inversions because you haven't had the recession yet. This time is different because of A, B, or C. And that's a gamble, right? I mean, you know, just because something has always happened in the past doesn't mean it's guaranteed. Statistically speaking, the more that something occurs, the odds increase that eventually it won't. And so just because, you know, the inverted yield curve has always led to a recession previously doesn't mean this time couldn't be different. And, and to what I was saying in the last segment, this is the risk of making one-sided bets. I'm not saying that there's not going to be a recession next year, but there's a possibility. There was a possibility I could have won the $1 billion lottery. I didn't. But there was a possibility. So the thing to think about. So as we, as we talk about this, though, what's important to understand, and this is where the media gets it wrong, it's like, well, we have an inverted yield curve and we don't have a recession. It's true. In fact, when you've had an inverted yield curve, you've never had a recession historically. The recession comes when the yield curve uninverts. And that's where money is now panicking and the, the longer end of the curve starts to drop rapidly on terms of yields and the short end of the curve is dropping and, and the reason for this is that now money is just seeking safety so money is just flowing into treasuries to find safety and this uninverts that yield curve puts it back into an, a, a positive spread. So the 10-year the yield is higher than the two-year yields, but they're lower, right? Yields are coming down. Why are they coming down? Because the Fed's cutting rates. So when it uninverts, that tells you that something is now broken in the economy. The Fed is now cutting rates. They're doing QE, whatever it is. And money is flying into safety. And this is where your recession sets in and you have your finish out your correction and the markets finish up your bear market. And that's probably going to be what we'll see next year. Now, again, we don't have it right now, but this is something we go through 
and this weekend's newsletter. So if you go to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, we talk about inverted yield curves and what it means and what it means for the economy. And here's what's interesting about this. When you look at economic statistics, and this is what the, the media is doing right now, is like, well, if you take a look at retail sales, they're still really strong. No recession here. Economic data, still strong. 2.6% print quarter three, 3.5% print quarter four, whatever it's going to be. No recession, no sign of a recession. Well, interestingly enough, let me give you some statistics. 5% annualized real personal income growth, 2.6% employment growth, 4.8% industrial production, 11.5% PCE, 13.4% annualized real wage growth, 4.8% annualized GDP. Yield curve inverted. Now, you take a look at those economic statistics, you're going 4.8% annualized real GDP. Wow. Clearly no sign of a recession. Retail sales strong, personal income growth strong, everything's strong. Those statistics were 1999. In 2000, you had a recession and dot-com crash. Let me give some other ones. 1.4% uh, annualized real personal income growth, 0.8% annualized employment growth, 2.2% annualized industrial production, 4.6% annualized real personal income, 5.7% annualized growth in wages, 2% annualized real GDP. That was December 2007. That was the start of the recession. Now, you're going, well, Lance, how can you have all these positive economic data points and then have a recession that started the same month, by the way? Two things. One is all that data is subject to big revisions, which typically happens. And B, you always have positive growth just before the economy kind of falls off the cliff. Because... Consumers act in herds. They all act the same way. So just because you have a lot of economic statistics that are positive right now doesn't mean that A, they won't be revised, and B, they can't turn down fairly quickly. Be right back after the break. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show.
So, uh, the saga continues with FTX, of course. This is a whole Sam Bankman freed crypto exchange is now blown up, exposing a huge potential fraud at this point. And everything from using client funds to trade other assets to potentially a whole variety of fiduciary breaches in terms of client money, buying houses for employees in their name. So, I mean, hey, I like to work for a company that buys me a house and puts it in my name. That's, that's, that's a cool Benny. <laughs> but this is going to continue to unravel for a while. FTX owes about $3 billion to creditors. And, of course, there's a lot of big-name hedge funds that are involved in this, this whole blow-up. Uh, Sequoia Capital, BlackRock, etc., that uh, are going to take a, a bruising from this. And again, you know, for a lot of these companies, a couple hundred million here or there is no big thing. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a rounding error on balance sheets, but still not great for the reputation. But again, this is what happens when you have a tremendous amount of money chasing the markets, right? Too much money, too few assets. You know, I told you about in 2021, I went and did a merger and acquisition panel. They wanted me to come MC it. And at the time, this is 2021, late 2021, this is November 2021, the commentary was all the same from these M&A guys, right? The banks, the M&A guys, you know, everybody there is like, man, we just, we can't find enough deals to fund. There's just literally money laying in the streets we can't find enough deals to put money into. The problem when that happens is, is that due diligence gets very lax. And people start just going, oh, I just, you know, I got to find money to get it in. Uh, there's, you know, rumors like at Sequoia Capital. I'm saying rumors because I don't have any actual evidence of this, but I've heard it from people very close to the source that, you know, if you're a partner in the firm and you pass up a deal that turns out to be a, you know, four or five time winner, right? You know, you invest $100 million and make five, $600 million off of it. You're not a partner for very long. And so there's no incentive to pass up deals. The risk to your career is passing up a deal because you never know which deal is going to turn out to be the next Uber, Lyft, you know, whatever. And that's the environment we were in. And so they were packaging up these deals, ramping them up, spinning them out to markets. And remember, we couldn't get them out in IPOs fast enough, so we started doing all these SPACs. And that's how they were capitalizing and getting their capital out of these out of these products. And of course, there was plenty of appetite for it. Investors were lining up at the door to buy these things, right? You throw out a SPAC, all of a sudden you get the Reddit crowd ramped up and you know they're buying the SPACs. So, but that's the risk. Too much, too many assets chasing, I mean, too much money chasing too few assets, right? So that's just what happens in these speculative markets. And of course, eventually it unwinds. And as the old saying goes, you know, as Warren, <laughs> as Warren Buffett once said, when the tide goes out, we find out who's swimming naked. And there's a lot of naked people out there right now that are figuring it out. And it's interesting, one of the kind of the fallouts of, you know, the whole crypto space is, 
other than a disinterest now, a lot of people are just losing interest. Uh, you know, Bitcoin, Ether is kind of losing momentum. Uh, used to when I used to log on to my Twitter account, you know, I'd have everybody had laser eyes on their on their avatars, right? And uh, so that was kind of if they were involved in the the cryptocurrency space and they were supporters of it, they all had laser beams for eyeballs. And that's gone away, not surprisingly. But now we're starting to see, you know, other things happen. There was a big rush. Companies were running out to become Bitcoin miners. And this is where they would buy a building and they would just load it up full of computers to mine Bitcoin. And, of course, it's very energy intensive. But the marginal break even on Bitcoin mining because of everything that's gone on is no longer there. It's, it's not very profitable. So, again, just too much money chasing too few assets lead to really bad outcomes, ultimately. And, and we're going through that process. And we'll look back at this period of time. And, and whether or not we have a 50% market, market correction or a 30% or a 20%, whatever it is, right? You know, we'll look back at this period and go, okay, that period was a period of easy money speculation that went bad. And it's funny. I, I wrote articles about this, right? Uh, I wrote articles about... Gen Zers taking out debt to invest. You know, it's a terrible idea. And it's worked out horribly. But these are the things that, that occur. And so uh, we have to go through this kind of cleansing process of that action. But, but we've taught investors over the last decade that, you know, the Fed's always going to bail you out. Right? And this is why every time the market sells off, we get these very nice rallies in the markets on expectation the Fed's going to pivot. And there's no evidence right now that the Fed is going to pivot. But we've had this very nice rally in the market. Um, positioning has gone from extremely negative to positive. AAI, the, uh, the American Association of Individual Investors, their bullish sentiment is now the highest level since July at the peak. So you've seen a lot of reversals of fear in the markets back to Greek. And as I said earlier, that probably suggests that maybe we're closer to the end of this potential, you know, little rally than not. But it'll be something that, again, you know, we've talked about using this rally to take profits, reduce risk, rebalance your portfolio, because, again, we're going to have another sell-off. And I would probably suspect that, in the first quarter of next year, we're going to have another downdraft in the markets. Now, one of these, mind you, will be the final downdraft. We're not going to keep doing this forever. We're going to get through this period of time. And one of these rallies, and maybe it's this one, I doubt it, but maybe this is the rally that starts the next cyclical bull market. Maybe the bottom is in. Doubt it, but po it's possible. Next downdraft, depending on how big it is, that could be the bottom. Because we're wringing enough of the sellers out. And again, seller exhaustion is always a problem. But that's what eventually marks the bottom of, of bear markets. But, you know, we're not excessively positioned at this point. So, you know, there's, there's risk to the downside, but... We have enough cash and enough fixed income on our books to hedge off against that risk. And, and so we're prepared for it. 
because we certainly don't want to be impacted by it. But at some point, we'll have to realize that the bear market is over and we need to be back, you know, bullishly allocated. Man, that's going to be a lot more fun to do a radio show with. <laughs> Here's your radio show when we get back into that. Good morning. It's a bull market. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. Be very short. Nothing to do. Markets are going up. But a lot of the offsides positioning that we saw back at the bottom of the market in September, that's gotten back on the right side of the ledger, getting a little bit bullish here. So again, as we've talked about before, use this opportunity, raise a little bit of cash. Markets holding up on this rally. Kind of been flopping around here for the last couple of days. That's good. That's giving you an opportunity. Reduce some risk, raise some cash. If it goes up a little bit more, that's okay. Reduce some more risk, raise some more cash. We're getting towards the end of this rally, I suspect. Now, at some point, if you go, but Lance, what if that was the bottom? We'll know. It's still going to pull back at some point. The question is going to be where it pulls back to. Does it form a higher bottom and then make a higher high in, in the trend? And do we keep kind of stair-stepping our way higher? That's how we're going to know that we're in a new bullish trend within the markets and we need to increase allocations, but we're not there yet. Right now, this is still very much looking like and acting like previous bear market rallies. So treat it that way, at least for now, until we know differently. Um, you know, probably one of the best investments in the first half of next year will be bonds. Stocks will be the best investment in the second half of next year. That's kind of the overall, that's kind of the arching game plan we're building on. I'm, I've just wrote part one of a two-part article on that. So I'll have that out probably after Thanksgiving. As we get ready to wrap up the year, I've got a couple of articles that I've written for kind of the end of the year wrap up positioning for next year, kind of what we think is going to happen. Um, of course, if you haven't been by the website yet, uh, last week I spent an hour with Danny and Richard talking about the outlook for next year. That video on the website now, it's also in the newsletter. So if you go to the website, click on our newsletter link. Um, you can also get the video in our uh, most recent newsletter talking about yield curve inversions. But in that economic outlook, we talked, we basically just answered your questions for an hour. Lots of good questions on bonds, gold, everything else. So we went through all of that. Um, but that's on the front page of the website right now, realinvestmentadvice.com, along with, of course, our three minutes on markets and money, which will be out later this morning. Make sure you're subscribed to our daily commentary. Every day we give you a market update. And make sure you're subscribed for the newsletter. We email that every weekend. So we keep you up to date with everything. All you have to do is make sure you're subscribed to all the different tools and things that we have for you, right? If you don't want it, it's okay. It's all, it's all free, but it's there for you. If you want it, it's all there at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Um, in the meantime, have a great day. Um, we will be back tomorrow. We'll see what happens. Uh, the, again, this is going to be a very shortened holiday week. Um, so... Trading is going to be light, sporadic, could be volatile. So, like I said, just continue to use little pops in markets, raise a little bit of cash, reduce your risk for now. All right, that wraps up the show for today. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.